Welcome to the Practice Accelerator podcast, powered by Blue Camel. This podcast is all about the business of dentistry. We talk to dentists from all over to hear stories of what works. The ups and downs provide you guidance for your own practice journey. Whether you're an associate thinking of starting a practice, own one practice, or many, our goal is to help you succeed in the business of dentistry. Awesome. Okay, great. So let's welcome everybody to the Practice Accelerator podcast with our guest, Dr. Mino Patel in Cary, North Carolina. Thanks so much, Dr. Patel, for joining. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. And just a quick background for the folks that are listening. Dr. Patel grew up in a small town in Florida where her parents owned a Hallmark shop named Mino's Hallmark. And her father was a chief technologist in nuclear medicine. She went to, on to University of Florida, where she did a seven-year combined BS-DMD program and became a gator dentist. She <laughs> was brought to North Carolina through her AEGD residency at UNC Chapel Hill and moved to Charlotte. Lived in the big city high-rise life, of course, where she was an associate dentist in a corporate DSO setting for seven years. And she realized this was not her why in becoming a dentist. And it took her about six months. She took a six-month sabbatical from clinical dentistry and then went on to purchase her practice in the town of Kerry, just outside of Raleigh. And so welcome to suburbia, right? Almost four years ago now, Preston Dental Law. Uh, she lives there with her husband and, of course, their dog, mascot of her choice, Endo. Endo is the name. And she will share with us several things she wishes she would have known before purchasing her practice, as well as how she has overcome these hurdles and building a well-respected practice in the Triangle area. Welcome, and thanks for being so generous with your share, Dr. Patel. No problem. Thanks for asking me on. Yeah, so part of the reason why we asked you to be on the show is when we were having a discussion earlier on about marketing and how to drive your practice, you had shared a little bit about... I remember you were saying... I wish I knew these things before I bought a practice. And the, just the growth that you personally have been on um, for the last three, four years, I thought that it would be a great way to, one, share your story and be a contribution to other fellow dentists that are graduating or who have the golden handcuffs and are thinking of jumping ship and, and you know, striking out on their own. But would just love for you to candidly share your story. And I think what we'll talk cover in this podcast is financing, inheriting any staff, if you did or you didn't, some processes, but really keeping organic what you want to share, what's top of mind. And uh, yeah, maybe if that makes sense, if you want to start off at, but what do you want to start with? Anything really. I think owning a practice is so daunting for people, whether you are in dental school or whether you're in an associateship and you actually kind of, you're okay with it, you like it. And Maybe the grass does seem greener with owning your own practice. And for me, it was a daunting thing to kind of look at. But as we have moved through the past four years, it's been something amazing that we've been able to, you know, I've been able to create something that I've done on my own with the help of a ton of colleagues and friends and family. But it's doable. It's doable. And people don't, you don't have to shy away from it. You can practice the way that you envision. And it's something that 
you just have to put your mind to and you can do it. So when you say that it was daunting, what was like, what sparked you to do it? it was it the family that encouraged you? You should have your own practice because the golden handcuffs are golden for a reason. Like it's a pretty good gig to be an associate as well. I mean, in you know, most cases. What? Yeah, I mean, it was great. I, I actually, my associateship, even though it was a corporation, it was a corporate dentistry type setting. And I, the golden handcuffs were true. It's the fact that if you produce dentistry, you were able to make a lot of money and you could live a lifestyle that a dentist is quote unquote supposed to look like they're living. And so, yeah, we were doing well. We were making a lot of money. We were seeing a lot of patients. It was a high volume of patients. Probably, I mean, just to be honest, I'm probably seeing less than a fourth of the number of patients per day in my practice that I was as an associate. And so do you want to see that many patients a day? Do you not want to see that many patients a day? Associateship was great because I personally had the experience of having a lot of autonomy. My partner doctor was kind of awesome in the sense that, yeah, she would check and we would have team meetings and we would constantly be consulting with each other on how to run the practice and how to do dentistry. She was a great mentor to me. I had a lot of autonomy. So I could interview team members. I could hire. I could help allow team members to find other positions if they weren't a good fit for us. So it was really, it was a nice way to introduce myself to the career and really allow myself to expand and learn where my strengths were and maybe what I didn't want and maybe what I did want in practice and career in my life. So very cool. So it sounds like you were lucky from a leadership standpoint you had a people leader that gave you some flexibility and allowed you to experience other things other than just chair time she did yeah it was really it was really super cool but i think when you reach that certain level of peak i was able to produce a lot this company would put out lists of the top 10 doctors in the nation in their company and i would always be in that somewhere in that range of one to five in the nation. So you can imagine how much I was producing. So you reach that capacity to where you're like, okay, what's next? Like, what do I do next? You have that internal drive that's constantly like, hey, what do I do next? Is this something that I want to do? And at some point you kind of realize, hey, I mentally, I can do all this stuff, but maybe your body's not keeping up. Maybe, Maybe you're burning out a little bit and you realize like, hey, maybe I had a little bit of, I never really had health issues, but maybe you have aches and pains and stuff that you weren't really like used to seeing in yourself all the time. You don't envision yourself to have that. It, it gets tiring after a while. Wow. So that, that's actually a perfect segue to you get, you have that realization. And for the folks that are out there that want, are in the same boat as you were four years ago, that they have that production and they're also thinking what's next. It takes money to do that. So how did you finance? How did you structure? What pieces and actions did you take to position yourself to buy a practice or be on the market and look for a practice? Uh, and so one of the biggest questions you have to really ask yourself is, hey, do I want to open something from scratch where I start with this big spend and I have zero patients and zero revenue coming in? And for some reason, I always thought that wouldn't it be great? Like, why are we trying to recreate a wheel where a dentist may be ready to retire and you may swoop in and come in and buy something that is cash flowing? And so 
That was always my vision is to find a practice that somewhat fit all the check boxes and then be able to purchase that with cash flow coming in and hopefully somehow make that work. Luckily, I was able to do that. The nice thing is that banks are willing to finance you as a practice owner, especially as a dentist. And so talking with the bankers, talking with dentists that have been there, done that, talking with figuring out what options are available with you as financing goes. It's pretty daunting with a dentist maybe coming out of dental school that they may have big debts, federal loans and things like that, student loans that are owed. And they may not be, they may not be as encouraged to think that they can qualify to purchase a practice. But I would always keep that window open. I would always try to look for that. But for me, after being an associate for so long, I did have quite a bit of financial help that was there. I had saved quite a bit. And so not that I used any of that in my own business, but banks do look at personal financial statements. They did want my production, my ability to produce. They wanted to see, hey, does this dentist that's coming to buy this certain practice, will she be able to keep up with the pace of this practice that she's willing to purchase? And so they wanted that information and I was able to give it to them. Very cool. So that gave you some confidence too. Like, so you built up your capacity. And now instead of doing that for some other corporation, you're taking that skill set capacity and you're basically doubling down on yourself. You're going to invest in yourself now and take that advantage. Yeah, I guess who better to bet on than yourself, right? Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. Yes, totally. Totally. So you uh, talked to the bank, you got the financing in place. How many practices did you look at? And then you know, why did you pick Preston Dental Law? Like what criteria did you come across that versus other criteria? And maybe you could share what were some practices that gave you some red flags that you wouldn't want to touch with a stick and what made present dental law so attractive? Because essentially you're becoming in that moment, like a, a venture capitalist and this company, the present dental law or any dental practice beforehand it, that's looking to get bought out, will they, you know, can you, do you see potential in it? Can you, have it grow beyond what the purchase price cash flows are right now. So can you share a little bit about the right criteria about what precedental what about precedental law so great? And what are some things with other practices that you're like, no, 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 I can't turn this around. Was it the location or the book of business or can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it's actually funny. My story's a little funny here because I originally, originally started out looking for a practice in South Charlotte where I had spent most of my associate time. And honestly, with my contract with my corporation, I didn't have a restrictive covenant. And so what that means is that I could go, I could go next door and open a practice and I would not get in trouble. And so keeping that in mind, I had originally started my search within a one to three mile radius of where I was because I knew that, and you know, I didn't want to steal patients by any means. I would never want to do that, but it's something like I had built that relationship with those patients and I loved that area. I honestly loved that area. And so that was kind of my niche. I had all of my dentists and colleagues that were, that I was partner partnering with and working as a team, all my specialists, my periodontist, my oral surgeon, my pediatric dentist, like I had all of them, my orthodontist, I loved. They were great uh, helping me get patients where I needed to get them and I get help there. And so I had spent a lot of years building a team. Well, what happened is that I couldn't find a practice that was for sale. None of the deals really worked out. Some of them I had looked at with brokers. Um, Brokers are, in my opinion, 
Sometimes they're really, really great with letting and allowing the deal to go through. And sometimes it's difficult to work with the broker because you may have a broker that represents the buyer and the seller at the same time. You may have one that the buyer may have a broker and the seller may have a broker. There's a lot of variables that go into that. And so I think somebody had listed... I think what happened here is that the owner dentist of this particular practice had listed his practice for sale on the North Carolina Dental Society's website in the classified section. And I, that day that I saw his listing, I was going on there as an associate dentist or as a dentist in general, looking for a practice to purchase. I was going to put some blurb on there about, hey, I'm a dentist and I'm looking for this practice and blah, blah, blah. And I saw his listing on there and just happened to call him. I had looked at practices prior And your question about what you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole is kind of funny because I did. I walked into several practices and some of the things that I was really looking for an area that I could do a certain potentially caliber of dentistry to say. And I wanted to be in an area where patients, I was able to provide care for patients that care about their overall health and well-being that I could help them get through. And I wanted to live in an area where essentially I envisioned myself having a family, being there for a while. And I think I remember the biggest thing I remember about picking a location of where I wanted to practice is a mentor that was in my residency told me basically, he's like, you don't buy a practice just for the business. You buy, you first figure out where you want to live and where you want to envision your life and where you want to raise your family and then you buy your practice. And that always stuck with me. Dr. Ken Hornowski, he's amazing. He practiced um, out of Asheville, North Carolina for years. And then he was one of, he continued to be my mentor. Actually, I called him several times when I was looking through practices and deciding what to do. And he was, he's always been an amazing help to me. So that kind of goes with it. But really what I was looking for is, is the dentist Are they keeping up with technology? Have they kept things updated? I would look through x-rays and see, hey, is the dentistry that's been done in the past, has it been good? Has it not been good? Meaning, am I going to go into practice and have to fix a bunch of stuff? Or am I going to be taking over a great patient pool who's been well taken care of over the years? And there's so many different factors to kind of look into when you're looking for a practice, but those are some of the main ones. Very cool. Awesome. That's really insightful, especially it sounds like you also surrounded yourself with great mentors and support, and you really didn't just do this by yourself and recreate the wheel. And you had some people that really cared about you and want to see you succeed and win. And I think that applies to anywhere in life. So that's awesome. In terms of now that you got precedental law and you honed in on the one, you complete the deal, staffing, you didn't have to deal with that as an associate. And now you're dealing with staffing. Did you inherit staff? Did you hire new folks? Did you have to manage people out? Like how did how was the staffing situation taking over your practice? I think team building staffing and team members is I think been the toughest thing for me to overcome in owning a practice. And so my seller dentist who I bought the practice from didn't really want me to see his team or meet his team or say anything to anybody about the sale in general about the practice purchase, which is really tough. So I didn't get to meet them until the day before the sale was happening. And so when I came in, I bought the practice 
the deal happened on a Thursday. I was to go in to see patients on a Monday. And that's when I actually talked with the team and met them. And that day I learned that the longest standing team member on that team was there for three months. And so purchasing a practice that was there for 25 years and then learning that the longest standing team member was three months, we all quickly realized that nobody knew anything. We were all blind leading the blind because their leader had left and was replaced by me who was supposed to be their leader. But I didn't know how they ran the business. I didn't know the business aspect of how he... I could be a dentist. I I was able to dentist and I was able to do that. But billing and insurance and all of those things that the team was responsible for, we didn't really know. And so that was a tough transition for me. Quickly, I learned that you have to learn to be a leader with your team. You have to make sure that you're on the same page. You have to be and have clear communication with them. They are part of your family. I mean, I spend so much more time with my team sometimes than I do with my own husband at home or my own family. And so I think I've grown a lot with learning how to lead, learning how to hire and fire team members. That's the tough part is firing, but you have to realize that it is a business. You have to run it like a business. You have to make sure that your team members are your best advocates and that they want to see you succeed. Because if we succeed as a business and if I succeed, then of course, they're going to succeed with me. And making sure that we're picking rockstar team members to make sure that they're offering the care that we want to offer to our patients. That's the biggest thing. And luckily, I will say I have an amazing team. We're small, but we're mighty. (laughs) Very, I like the... One of the things that you mentioned that stuck out to me is the practice was in existence for 25 years, but the staff, the, the oldest tenured staff is three months. So it raises a red flag for me as a business person that what ha- what's in play or what dynamic is in play at an office that there is what's going on with retention, what's going on with loyalty there. And so that's really interesting. Is there a way, did you ever question that? Or was that like in the fine print that to see the staff? Or was it like right there, he said, you're not allowed to meet the staff until you, you move in? Uh, yeah. So one of my biggest things is I did want to meet the staff in the beginning. And he said that we couldn't. So it was upfront. It was said, but I decided I, I checked, he checked every other box for me, meaning the location was awesome. I loved the town. His dentistry seemed great. It was a practice where he was doing certain types of dentistry, but he was referring a lot. And the amount of skill that I could bring in and the increase in revenue that I could potentially bring in with my skill set it would get me to the point that I wanted to get to. So if I didn't get to meet the team, so be it, is the approach that I had to end up taking. So yeah, he did tell me that. It did bother me. But it's something that if I wanted the deal to happen, maybe sometimes you have to just say, you know what, maybe I can't have everything. Right. Very cool. It's like you're really doubling down on yourself or betting on yourself again. And actually, that's a strategic way to look at it where... You're seeing that, hey, based on his book of business, he's referring out of the referred out cases, I could do X percentage of them. And that's an immediate revenue bump. So that's very cool. And so from there, then how much of your staff have been you turned over? Like, is there 40%, 50% continued on? Or have you are you at a point where you completely have a new roster? 
I have a new roster, which I'm super excited about. Some, the original team members, it just didn't work. You got to find your niche. You got to find your peeps. (laughs) So we found our peeps. Some of them, even though, even though they're not with us in our team currently, like with us, with us, like working with us every day, they're still our peeps. A couple of them are in dental school currently right now. And a couple of them, few of them, maybe they had their second child and having two toddlers at home and adding all of that and doing full time. And plus, maybe they were driving 45 minutes to get to us. So it's one of those things. It's got to be the right fit. And it's got to be people on your team that are empowered by you and empower themselves to be the best version of themselves. And so we've got an amazing team now. But yeah, they... I don't have any team member that's with me that was with him currently. And it's not all bad. Turnover, sometimes it's not all bad. And the nice thing is, is that now that i looking back, I think I've grown, like I said, in that capacity. I can be upfront and open with team members. They know what their expectations are. I have a much more way of clearly communicating what their expectations are. And if it fits the bill, amazing. And my team members know, like, if I am tough on them, we still know, like, they know I love them. It's not like I'm beating down on them and I'm writing them up for things, this, that, and the other, but they know what their expectations are. And if they want to be there, they do and they'll show you. But I take care of them just like their family. We joke around and we fool around and we have tons of fun and we do team events and things like that. For example, we recently, one of our team members loves to go hiking. And so, we decided, okay, this is going to be a team event. We're all going to go hiking. And we had a great time. And so not just making it all about business every day, but throwing in there some fun things and making it your work family rather than just people that work for you. Very cool. And so from there, you've got the practice. You know, As you're going on this journey, you worked with the staff, you got the team in place that you're clearly super excited about and energized around. What were some of the business processes that you inherited? And then what did you need to add or remove? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So he, so when I first purchased the practice, obviously there was a lot of moving parts with the transition, especially the first surprise, like I said, with the team members. So I'll be honest, as an associate, I don't know anything about billing. I don't know how I've never touched or taken a credit card payment before. I've never gone over finances with a patient. I know that there's something called insurance and I know that you have to make sure you have all the right insurance information for that patient. But did I ever get an insurance check and did I ever post it to a patient's account? And yeah, I didn't do any of that stuff. And so the business processes end of it was also very difficult for me because I did not know any of that. And going into the practice with our practice purchase agreement, the dentist was supposed to come in for the first six to eight weeks, twice a week to just go over business practices with me. Like, how did he send out the statements? How did he send in insurance claims? Just keeping the business afloat. How did you do that? What are your particular business practices? And it was up to him to kind of let that transition happen. But he never ended up coming. And I think because I was in the midst of learning the practice and taking on this new thing, even though I said it to him a few times, like, hey, are you coming in? Hey, what's going on? Like, what's what's happening here? He never did. And I never kind of followed up with it, I guess, after that, after saying it a few times, it just never happened. And I had to figure it out as I went. Wow. 
So in that case, was that a clause in the contract? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Wow. I could have taken it other places, obviously, right? Legal and all of that. But at that point, I think I had just, I think I was over it. We had to deal with some other issues because when I bought the practice, we did not purchase his AR, but we did agree to collect his AR and we kept a certain percentage as a processing fee because my team was collecting that AR for him. Mm -hmm. And so the agreement, even with how that was collected and dispersed to him was a difficult process. It was a very difficult process and he was a difficult purchaser to buy from. But in the end, looking back, I don't complain about it. I think it allowed me to learn a lot through the process and it pushed me to really have to learn it on my own. I had, I mean, nobody else is going to teach me. I have to figure it out. Totally. So being self-taught, what crept up on you or caught you by surprise? I think the biggest thing is insurance claims. I kind of, I let my team member take ownership of that. And she claimed that she knew insurance. She knew what she was doing. She had been in dentistry for 25 years and she was working with me. And because I didn't know, I questioned, I mean, I would ask general questions like, oh, did you get the breakdown? Oh, did you send in the claims for today? Oh, did we get the checks or oh, this, that. And then finally, and I'll be honest, it took a long time, but probably about a year and a half in, I was like, wait a minute, like, are you sure you're doing this correctly? Are you, are we checking things appropriately? When you get an insurance claim that's denied, are you resubmitting it? Because I never hear about those or, or are you appealing claims? Or I was never asking detailed questions, but you don't ask detailed questions if you don't know, right? You only know what you know. So through that process, I realized that you have to be able to really vet the team members that you're bringing on. And the only way to vet them is you have to know how to do it yourself. And that was a year and a half in. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's like you're living it and you're rolling with what you're dealing with. And I guess what I'm hearing some of it is firefighting, right? As you get it, the practice, you're spending time and attention on on your immediate needs. And then as you're reflecting and meditating every night, thinking about your baby that you just bought and how to you know feed it and grow it, these things kind of surface up a little bit later. And so I'm, I'm assuming, you know, four years out, you have that down to a science. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a much better now. And actually, as I'm talking to you, there was another major bomb in the whole story was that he didn't tell his patients either that he was selling the practice. He did not send out a letter. He did not tell his patients. He sold the practice on a Thursday. Like I said, I showed up on a Monday and the patients would walk in and look at me like, who are you and where is my dentist? And I would just come in and say, in my bubbly voice that I have, I'd be like, hi, how are you? And his personality to mine is completely different. Like he is a very stoic, very well-respected guy. And I'm like this bubbly girl that's coming in and telling them I'm their new dentist. And they're like, huh, what? Like, what do you mean? And so... I quickly, quickly learned that I actually personally, the night before the patients were coming in, I would call each and every patient the night before and say, hey, just introduce myself to them. Um, we did eventually write a letter as well. Probably a couple of weeks in, we, I drafted a letter and let them know, hey, the practice has been transitioned. I am your dentist. Dr. Castor wishes you well and this and that. But I, most of the patients were okay. Some of them, it was tough. It was tough. I had one guy cuss me out, but now him and his family are my besties. They're like the best patients (laughs) in our practice. And we joke about it. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. He's like, yeah, I cussed you out. Yeah. 
So yeah, that was tough, but it took a lot of time. I had to really, really build relationships with them. That kind of underscores that just because you buy a book of business doesn't mean it's peaches and cream. You still have to work on building that relationship. And it's almost a great case scenario for you to go through that. And what I love hearing is the entrepreneurial spirit where, oh, geez, this, there's been no transition document or notification or communication, anything of that nature gone out. What do I need to do? And then you're on the, you're on the horn with people like, Hey, by the way, uh, I'm so-and-so and this is who I am. And then just like really doing what needs to be done. And yeah, they appreciated, they appreciated the phone call. Like they, I didn't know what else to do. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this person is going to come in tomorrow and they're going to be like, where is my dentist? And so I was like, what would I want? And I would, I just, in my head, I was like, well, let me just call them and say, Hey, you have an appointment coming tomorrow. Let me introduce myself to you. And I totally understand you've never met me before, but if you don't want to do your appointment tomorrow, just come in and meet me. Just, just, just come in and meet me. We don't have to keep your appointment if you're not comfortable, but just meet me. And some of them would say, oh, that's fine. And maybe, yeah, let's do that. And some of them, they transitioned out, which was really hard. But without then a few months, yeah, without meeting me. But then a few months later, they came back because yeah. they knew. I mean, these were people in the community that had been clients of his forever. Like they used to go to the same church or they lived in the same neighborhood. And what I found is once now that I know them, they, the patients like, and I would ask them when they came back, I'd be like, what, you know, like what made you come back? And they'd be like, oh my gosh, like Sally's my neighbor. And I talked to Sally and Sally loved you and your practice and blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, yeah, we're coming back. And I was like, gosh, that's awesome. So it worked. And I think in business, people sometimes overcomplicate it. And I think the basic of everything is building a relationship. That's it. That's what business is based on. You People want to be with people. They want to be with real people. And that's the end game. You know, this podcast is really like what you wish you knew before getting in practice. Right. Uh, and part of it, it's like maybe what you're sharing will help people decide that, hey, this is maybe not for me. Because what you're doing is so outside the norm of what your day-to-day routine was, you know, with the golden handcuffs. I really think is like just you're being fluid, you're being responsive, you're being also like outside of your head, you're just taking action. Like you're being so present to what am I dealing with? And I love how you were saying that, what would I want? I would love to have a phone call. I'd love to have someone say that, hey, this is your expect me. It's gonna be someone different, et cetera. And then sending out a letter a couple of weeks later. Like it that's uh that's what it takes to have your practice survive and, you know, ultimately try. That's awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some days I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, I wish I could just go in, be a dentist and leave. (laughs) Cause it's hard. Some days you really want to just go and dentist, which is what I did with the place that I was at. And so, but in the end, I'm so much happier here. Like it's, it's my own thing. I can, it's been really fun been fun. It's been hard. It's a different type of stress. And when people used to say that to me, I was like, what are you talking about? This makes no sense. Like, and, but at the time my mindset was, okay, I need to do a root canal and I need to do a crown and I, maybe I'm placing an implant or maybe I'm doing an orthodontic case. And those were my, my stresses, right? Like now my stress is, oh my gosh, like I need to make sure I run payroll and I need to make sure the marketing is going on on my social media. Did we do a post today? And oh, that case, that implant case that's coming up, like I got to do that too. And then next week we have an event that's coming up. So make sure we're 
prepared for that. And then, oh, those insurance claims, did those get sent out? And that one that we have to appeal, like make sure that one gets appealed and credentialing Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina needs us to be re-credentialed. I mean, your mind goes crazy sometimes. And <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, health, being a healthcare worker and a small business owner at the same time can be overwhelming. I mean, at times it has been overwhelming for me, but in the end, I'm really, really excited that we've been able to build something that patients love coming to see us. And we have been able to bring a big impact to the Cary area, just our small little footprint. We've been able to serve a lot. So it's been pretty rewarding. So it, that goes right to my next question. You know, what are you most proud of? I don't know. I don't really talk about what things I'm actually proud of and I don't think about it. I just do stuff. But I think the ability to really affect other people's lives in a positive way, looking and seeing the growth of my team over time, my team members in general, being an inspiration. Sometimes, for example, I had, we're going back to one of my team members. She's amazing. Like she came to me as an assistant. And she had, she came to me and said in her interview, she said, well, I'm only going to be here a year because I want to go to dental school. And I said, okay. And I saw a really good potential in her. And so we brought her onto the team. And as she grew as an amazing team member, she would come to me some days and say, should I apply? Should I not apply? And I, we would just have conversations. And finally she got in and allowing myself to potentially make a difference in somebody else's life to make them better. That's what I've been really proud of being able to do. And then also just making an impact in the carry community, just knowing that, hey, we're here. We've been recognized for several awards in our community and around the Triangle area, which has been kind of cool, especially because we haven't been in business that long. And I never really in, like I never really thought that people would see us essentially, like they would really see the difference we're making. Like it's, we're just, we're a small dental office. Like why would anybody care about us? But they have, and it's been really, really cool. The Cary community has welcomed us with open hands. So it's been kind of awesome. That is awesome. Cool. And so what would you coach or mentor a younger version of yourself? You know, you've been at the game for about four years now. If you're talking to yourself, guiding or mentoring a younger version of yourself, what would you say? The biggest thing is I think dentists are so focused on dentisting. They're so trained to be focused and dogmatic on dentisting and teeth. And this is it. This is what you got to do. But if you want to be a business owner and your vision is to own your practice is to don't be blind to learning how to be a good leader, how to be a business owner, how to stand up for yourself and say what you believe in. And dentists, because we're so focused, I think have a difficult time communicating. They have a difficult time. Sometimes we're not trained to be leaders. We're not trained to be business owners. And so it's different. It's a different part of your brain you got to use. And that's what I would say. I mean, that's what I'm on a texting basis with a lot of my, with a lot of my team, uh, team members that have gone on to dental school and I text them and I say, okay, they watch me. They watch what I'm doing as much as I don't think they were maybe watching me. They watch me and they kind of, they kind of text me here and there and they say, okay, like, you know, how do I do this? And how do I do that? And yeah, the younger version of myself, like I wish I would have taken a little bit more incentive in, in learning how to be a better leader, but I'm doing it now. So that's great. <laughs> that's amazing. Like not living in 
and regret or I wish this or that and, and just taking yeah. action, which is totally paramount to being an entrepreneur, uh, taking action every day. Awesome. And then what about, what would you want to share with younger colleagues that are going through or thinking of uh, starting their own practice? I know you shared a lot, but is there something specific that you'd want to um, point out? Don't let anybody hold you back. If you think you can do it, do it because you can do it. I think basically that's, it sounds so generic, but I think a lot of people put roadblocks on themselves and they say, maybe with the advent of social media, there's a ton of dentists on Instagram that are Instagramming these, their blogs and things like that. But sometimes we look through that feed and we're like, man, I don't think I can do that. Like that person does a ton of stuff. Like, I just don't think I can do it, but you really can like put your mind to it, write it down on a piece of paper or type it up or something, write your ideas down and make them come alive. And I think, I think that's the key is that letting yourself really actualize what you envision. Cool. It was it, was it Confucius? I don't know, but I shouldn't be quoting, but I've said somewhere, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah, I think it's true. I mean, I actually really love teaching and mentoring students or people like we get, uh, we have a relationship with Wake Tech Community College and their dental assisting program sends at least two dental assisting students a year. And we'll teach and train with them live at the practice. And so they come in and we get to mentor them, which is super cool. And then I've also kept my adjunct professorship with University of, sorry, University of North Carolina, UNC Chapel Hill. And I'll go in, you know, as much as I can on maybe like a Friday and go in and do clinic with them. So teaching for me has always been something that I love. And I love, even with my assistants, like, or my team members, like I love teaching them new things or I love mentoring and teaching. I I think it's awesome. Like I've always had great mentors around me and I've always been so thankful and they've helped me get to the place. And I would, that's my one, like I want to be able to do that for somebody. Awesome. Well, you know, what better time than now, if you want to share your Twitter handle, like how can people reach you or get in touch with you? (laughs) Sure. My Instagram is actually my personal. I have two. My personal one is Meenal, my first name, M-E-E-N-A-L, 1217. And then the practice one is Preston Dental Loft. And so it's super easy to get hold of us on Instagram. And there's a ton of stuff going on with Instagram right now. And we also have a Facebook profile with our practice. And then our practice website is www.prestondentalloft.com. Cool. So we'll have those details and the podcast details as well. And so the, I guess the, the last question, if you could do it all over again, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Gosh, that's a tough question. And it's kind of funny. I don't know that I would do anything majorly differently. It's funny looking back because when I was thinking about buying the practice, there were a bunch of legalities where I could not disclose where I was buying the practice exactly. And I happened to be at the annual session North Carolina Dental Society meeting that summer, right before my deal was going through. And I was just talking to some older mentors that have kind of been there, done that. And they just were sharing their stories with me. And they were like, well, I sure hope you're not buying a practice in Cary. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm buying it in Cary, in the heart of Cary, where it's completely saturated. And I have a 
dental practice to the right of me, to the left of me, two buildings down, diagonally in front of me. Like there's tons, it's saturated, but it's been awesome. And I think the one thing I would probably do differently is I wish I would have focused more on the business aspect of dentistry, owning a business, but it's never too late. I think sometimes I talk with colleagues that are like, man, like, you have learned a lot in three years. Like I didn't even know anything about insurance 10 years in. Like my insurance girl just does that. And it's sometimes I honestly, I'm a little jealous of that, of people that are like that. Cause I'm like, man, I wish I had somebody that I could just say that about. But in reality, I'm glad I know it. I'm glad I know it because now I can run my business so much more efficiently. I know what my team members' expectations are. And I, I have a handle on my own business because nobody else is going to treat my business the way that I do, right? So it's been really nice to be able to do that. That's awesome. Amazing. That's all the questions that we had. Are there anything else that you'd want to share with the audience? Or you know, where's your location? If anyone's in, in Cary wants to check you out. Yeah, yeah. So we're on the corner of High House and Cary Parkway, literally right behind... La Farm Bakery, the original La Farm Bakery. And our building is right on the golf course, uh, Prestonwood Golf Course. And so you, when you're in the practice, you get a really nice view of the golf course, which is fun. A hole number 18, which is always nice to see and watch. But yeah, right in the heart of Cary there. Amazing. Amazing. Dr. Patel, thanks so much for your time today. And for our listeners, if there's any specific dentist that you'd like us to interview or specific questions that you'd like to have us find the answers for when it comes to practices, new practices, growing practice, get in touch with us below. You'll see the contact information. And thank you very much for listening. So the another question is when you look at, you'd mentioned you have a practice in Cary. And you're basically surrounded by other practices and you've inherited this practice. You've bought this practice. You know, how do you stand out and become different? Like what is your expression of dentistry? What makes you stand out? Expression of dentistry. That's pretty cool. Nobody's ever said that. So that's the tough part is to say and hear all the hecklers out there saying, don't buy and carry, don't buy and carry. And then realize that, wait a minute, I'm a younger, more potentially hip person than maybe some of the dentists out there. So maybe that's my my a little bit of a one-up. Maybe I can do Instagram and social media and differently than some of the other dentists that are out there. And maybe that's a segment of the market that's not been focused on or led to. And so that had one, that was one aspect. Another aspect was that we're, I'm very non-judgmental. I'm very non-judgmental. Meaning, patients come in. My team is very non-judgmental. The biggest thing that I find with patients is that they have a huge fear of even like walking into the practice. Like that's a big deal. And so, making sure that people know and the message is that it's non-judgmental and that clients get to spend time with us. Like when a patient actually comes in, I sit down and have a conversation with them. And it's not a conversation of like, what is your height and what is your weight and what is your medical history? That's all in there. But I'm really trying to get to know the person. So we try to do a lot of intake information sort of thing. We'd like to find out, okay, how did this patient hear about us? Where did they come from? Who are they friends with? Where do they work at? And we're getting to know the patient. It's just like getting to know your friends or getting to know your guests. And so patients appreciate that. I've had several patients come up to me and say, oh my gosh, like, 
what? Like, you're just going to talk to me? And I'm like, yeah, like, I want to get to know you. It allows me as their treatment provider to get to know them, to be able to give to them the service and the treatment that they actually need to become orally healthy, Um, which has been really, really, really nice to be able to do that and spend the time because as an associate, there's no way I had time to do that. The volume of patients that we saw there, it was lucky that I got to know somebody. And the only way I got to really know somebody is if they came in the practice because we were working on a big project and maybe they came to see me more than two or three times. That's how I got to know them. And plus I was in that practice for a long time. So I got to know them over time. But this way I can get to know a patient within that first like 10 to 15 minutes because we like jive. And so it's been super fun that way. And really keeping up with CE courses, making sure that my team is on the latest cutting edge with things, integrating all sorts of technology. So we've added a lot of lot of technology over the years. We've added TVs, new computers, 3D scanning machine, a CBCT machine. And we do most of our dentistry digitally now. We don't use gooey, goopy uh, impression materials and things that People have like nightmares about this stuff. Like we don't want to be invasive if we don't have to be invasive. And so patients really, really appreciate that. And then the other thing that we do differently at our office to be able to make a big impact in Cary is that we've hosted every year that we've been in business. And I hope we can do that this year again as well. We're looking forward to it and we have it on the plan on the calendar is to do two annual community events each year. So one is the Carry Cares Makeover event and another one in the late summer is uh, the free day of dentistry. And so being able to come together with the community and offer these two events has been a huge undertaking on my part besides everything else, but it's been like such a fun, fun thing for me to do. And so that's been really, really kind of fun and cool. And people really love that stuff. People love that. And for us to be able to do that has been super cool. So I think our office is, yeah, we do dentistry, but what are some of the jazzy things that we can put our own personality into? That's what's been different about us, I think. And patients love it. That's awesome. Like the, it's coming back to the genesis of this conversation of like, what did you, the 101 things that you wish you knew before buying a practice. Uh, and mm-hmm. it sounds like having a vision, like some type of vision, it'll change and it'll adjust force. As you dealing in reality and you're dealing with different people that are selling their practices and locations and all of that, but having a vision for yourself and how you want people to experience dentistry. And, you know, there's a certain experience or vibe people get once they visit you or or any dental practice, you'll get people, people are smart. They're going to get a feel and a flavor of what you're all about and having a vision before you buy something, even though it may change. Uh, having a vision is critical. So thank you for being so generous and, and sharing your story and the ups and downs and just being real real with us today. Uh, thank, thank you. you yeah, it's been fun. It's kind of been like, it's allowed me to like rewind and somewhat relive some of the things that maybe, you know, have happened and the things that are good and bad of what's happened. But it's funny in the scheme of life and just running forward, you're just kind of running. Like you don't get a time to pause and reflect. So I really appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity to even tell you about what's happened in my life in the past four years. Because at some point you kind of think, okay, who cares? But you guys kind of recognize that and I appreciate it. Amazing. 
Amazing. Thanks again, Dr. Patel, and uh, look forward to more conversations and hitting up different topics with you. If we send you an invite, hopefully you'll accept. Thank you so much.